Good morning, and good morning to everybody on, on uh, the internet who's listening. Today I'm going to talk about being more like Jesus. We all want to be more like Jesus, and Scripture tells us to be an imitator of God, so we want to be more like Jesus. So our first scripture is John 3.16. Everybody knows what that is, John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's mission on this earth is to save sinners, not to condemn them. That's God's mission, and that should be ours. We're so thankful that God saved us, and we're commanded by Scripture to carry out this mission of bringing salvation to sinners. But if we're not careful, we'll lose our focus and slip into condemning sinners, bringing bringing judgment and death into their world instead of love and life and light. Um, When we think of sinners, you know... um, Sometimes it's good to think about the most notorious sinners that we can think of and how they repented, and so it's possible for everybody to come to repentance. Uh, Some examples are the lead singer of Black Sabbath. Um, I don't know if you all remember, but that was a a, a, a rock group that was really into Satanism. The lead singer, Jeff Fenhold, is now an evangelist. Have you seen the movie The End of the Sphere? It's about, um, it's a true story based on a true story of five missionaries that went into the jungle in Ecuador. All five were killed by the tribesmen that they went to minister to. Over time, the widows of these five missionaries moved down there and eventually led them all to the Lord. Not all, to, you know, a majority of the tribe to faith in Christ. John Bunyan in the 1960s, he said about himself, Wherefore, I found within me great desire to take my fill of sin, still studying what sin was yet to me committed, that I might taste the sweetness of it, lest I should die before I had all my desires. See, he was a man that enjoyed sinning. (laughs) A woman in his town who was very corrupt herself told him that he was the most ungodly fellow she had ever heard in her whole life. (laughs) So he wasn't a sweet man, but he gave his life to the Lord and became a preacher and one of the most Christian authors of all times. He wrote that Pilgrim's Progress. Hmm. Justin Bieber, the bad boy of Hollywood, he repented and he turned his life over to Jesus. King Manessa, we learned about him in the lessons from the kings. He was the most evil king in the Bible and he repented. King David was an adulterer, and he ordered the murder of his lover's husband. He repented. The town of Nineveh, a whole town, was vile and wicked, and Jonah preached to them, and they repented. The thief on the cross, Jesus accepted his repentance. Matthew and Zacchaeus in the New Testament, they were tax collectors, and it's not like the IRS now. They were tax tax collectors, then were like mafia. They would beat people, they would harass people, and that's what Matthew and Zacchaeus were, and they repented. Muslims who persecute Christians oftentimes have uh, an encounter with Jesus, a dream or a vision, and they repent. 
George W. Bush. He was partying and drinking and taking drugs and womanizing, and he repented and got saved. Kirk Cameron was an atheist, and now he's a well-known evangelist. And on and on and on the list could go. We could stand here for a thousand hours and talk about the sinners that got saved, including you and I. God loves sinners. He doesn't love sin, but he loves sinners. And we need to have that love surging through every part of our being. When it doesn't, we become callous and judgmental, and we have a dead religion. And it can happen to any Christian. Um, just, just a little attitude here, a little attitude there, and we can be callous and have a dead religion. Every day we have a choice to be more like Jesus or more like the world. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anybody die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. And that's what humans are like. You know, maybe somebody would give their life for you, but maybe they wouldn't. But you'd have to be a really good person for somebody to really do that. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what God is like, and that's what we need to be like. So I'm going to read a story about one man who Jesus died for. And while I'm reading this story, I want you to see how a follower of Jesus acts, how God acts, and how religious people of that day acted, and and see who, who we would be like and what category we would fall into. It's Acts 6, verse 8. Acts 6, 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So we can see that Stephen was representing God. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. So these were religious men. They were opposed to the gospel. They began, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Then these very religious people secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, more religious people with dead religion. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They pronounced false witnesses, they produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. Verse 15. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, which was a religious court, looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? So Stephen goes on to answer and shares the gospel message very effectively. And then at the end he says to the religious people, we're going to look at Acts 7, verse 51. 
He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Now, isn't that really sad? These people who knew the law, they were entrenched in the law, they were, they were so worried about following the law, but they didn't have the law in their hearts at all. So they were very religious people. Uh, did you know that in the Old Testament we see that persecution of God's prophets mainly came from the religious hierarchy? It didn't come from sinners. It didn't come from the Gentiles. It came from religious people. And we need to remember that God wants us to be hearers of the word, but he wants us to be doers of the word, which involves love and it involves accepting, uh, accepting God's love. Um, Continue on with verse 52. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but not have not obeyed it. So, you know, people can come to church every Sunday and know the word and memorize the word and do everything else. But we need to obey the word and have God's word, you know, be effective in our lives. Verse 54, when they heard this, they, the religious people, were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and the religious people began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So he was acting like Jesus. Didn't Jesus do the same thing on the cross? When he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul, a very, very religious person, was there giving his approval, giving approval to his death. In verse 3, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now that's quite a, Saul's quite a guy, isn't he? It's quite a trip. He's very religious and he's intent on persecuting, jailing, torturing, and imprisoning Christians. Now, if there was somebody like that that we knew today, what would our attitude toward them be? <laughs> so some things that we learned from this passage of scripture. Religious people with dead religion have a tendency to act as the judge, jury, and the executioner. They stir up people to hate and division. They become furious with the truth and persecute those who try to share it. Religious people put up roadblocks to people getting saved. And that's what these Pharisees and Sadducees, that Sanhedrin and Paul was doing. 
all putting up roadblocks to people getting saved. And we don't want to ever do that in our life, do we? This reminds me of uh, the story I talked about, Jeff Fenhold, the leader of Black Sabbath, about his testimony. He was bound up by the devil terribly. He did drugs. He, you know, did everything immoral. He was a Satanist. He had hair down to his waist. Um, He said he was, you know, skin and bones because of all the drugs and everything. In In 1970, somehow he walked into a revival. <laughs> he just got there somehow. And at the altar call, he walked forward, not really knowing what he was doing. He prayed, God, if you are real, show me. I want to know if you're real. He felt the power of the Holy Ghost all over him. He started to cry. He said, whoever you are, God, I'm going to receive you now. Just then the preacher called out, you stand up. If you think you are going to come into this church mocking God and looking like a girl and you're going to receive Jesus as your Savior, I've got news for you. You've got another thing coming. Nobody who looks like a girl is going to get saved in this church. Oh, my gosh. In a revival. (laughs) A minister in a revival. He cussed out the preacher. Jeff did. What else is he going to do? That's all he knows to do. (laughs) He's a sinner. They threw him out of the church, and they told him if he ever returned to the church, he would be arrested. So it breaks my heart. Um, Nine years later, his wife got saved, thank God, and it led to his salvation. Saul, a religious person, would be now considered in our society, he would be considered a terrorist. A terrorist. Saul was very devout. He was a very religious person. He was aggressively persecuting, arresting, imprisoning, and killing Christians, men, women, and children. He was very passionate and very good at what he did. I want you to think a moment. Who could you compare him to today? This is what radical Muslims do, what the Chinese government does, what the North Korean government does, and many other governments and ethnic groups around the world. This is what the Nazis did, rounding up men, women, and children to be tortured, imprisoned, and killed. That is how evil Saul was. But he was very, very, very religious. And God loved him. And God died for him. Jesus Christ died for him. On the other hand, Stephen, as a Christian, was full of the Holy Ghost and was able to convey the truth of the gospel. He also lived it. And he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He did not call them names. He didn't lash out in anger. So in this story of Saul and Stephen, we can see a clear example of how Christians are commanded to act toward a person who is not saved. A person who's bothering them, abusing them, persecuting them, and even putting them to death. We're to act like Stephen. We're to act like Jesus. As we know from the word of God, Jesus was sent to die for Paul, just like Jesus was sent to die for you and I and all sinners. And those who are getting under our skin, Jesus died for uh, people that are bothering us, abusing us, persecuting us in our personal life, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our church world, in our work, in the entertainment world and in our government, and Jesus died 
God sent Jesus to die for all of us. So it doesn't matter who it is or how bad they are, how evil they are, how much they're bothering you, Jesus died for them. And as a Christian loses their connection with God and his heart, they carve out for themselves a dead religion full of anger and judgment and hate. The person whose religious has become dead will call down fire on people, will call them names, will make fun of their body or their infirmities, will post ugly pictures of them on, on the internet, and pray, will pray that God will destroy them. And I've seen Christians do all these things, which is really sad, and they're putting up a roadblock to people's salvation. I've seen Christians I know ask God to smite the foul people of the opposing political party <laughs> and say and do all sorts of ugly things in the name of truth, justice, and the American way. And just so you know, smite in the Bible means to beat, cast forth, give wounds, kill, slaughter, murder, punish, slay, and strike. So a Christian was praying that God would do all these things to people of the opposing political party. That's not the law of love, and that's not the way God wants us to act. So essentially, this person was praying that God in some way would destroy half of the voters in this country. Just slice them and dice them, God. <laughs> Get rid of them. But we'll talk later about the disciples thinking that they could do this and call down fire on a whole town. We see over and over again in the New Testament with the Pharisees that they did this. And as I said, they were very religious. They knew the Old Testament so well that they were vile and they were hateful and full of judgment. We see this when they stirred up the crowds to destroy Jesus. Crucify him! Crucify him! The woman taken in adultery. Stone her! And Stephen, stone him! Have you ever heard any born-again Christians act like this in our lifetime? Oh, yeah. Saying, he's stupid, he's dumb, he's short, he's ignorant, he's evil. Calling names. I've heard Christians call others, especially when it comes to politics, psychopathic nuts, liars, morons, nervous, little, the head clown, crybaby, a worthless human being, a racist, a deplorable, a xenophobe. And all these people that I'm talking about say that they're Christians and they're calling people names. And that's not religion that's alive. That's religion that's dead. I know one woman who says she's a Christian. She posts religious things on social media. She will cuss you out at the blink of an eye. <laughs> She'll call a person a slut, a whore, a buck-toothed gopher, white trash, sewer slime, and things you can't even imagine. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I read someplace where, where name-calling, calling names, is the lowest form of an argument. It's when you don't have anything intelligent to say, and you can't convey anything intelligently, you start calling people names. That's like the lowest, lowest thing you can do. The thing that... The thing that requires the least amount of intelligence is calling somebody a name. So anyway, we have seen that in political chance. Lock her up. You know, stone her. What did we do now? Lock her up. Hang Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States. Kill Nancy Pelosi, our speaker of the house. You know, that's what people with dead religion do. 
When we act like that, we have taken on the mantle of the Pharisees, not Jesus. We are reverting back to dealing with things the way the world does, not as Jesus' followers do, and we're putting up roadblocks to people getting saved. As you all know, thank God Saul repented of his sins, made Jesus Christ the Lord of his life, and his name was changed to Paul. So let's learn some more things about Paul. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So if Saul can get saved, the person that you think is the worst sinner in the whole world can get saved too. Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? When he says he was the worst of sinners, the word in the Greek means chief, first, leading, ranking above all others, the foremost, the worst of them all. And Saul, who was the worst, the chief of sinners, was a very, very religious man. So we need to be careful in our religion, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus, that we don't become like Saul or the Pharisees, that we always have a heart for the worst sinners, that we can see them through the eyes of God, that we can see them saved and born again and serving him. So, you know, when we think about this, just think in your own mind, who is the worst sinner that you know? Who's the person that is the most atrocious sinner that you can think of? Well, Jesus loves them, and Jesus died for them. And then Paul also goes on to say in Acts 26, verse 9, Acts 26, verse 9 in the New Living Translation, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I just did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to in foreign cities. That's just incredible that, you know, he did all these things. I, have you ever read any, any books about how Christians over the years have been tortured to renounce their faith in Jesus? Well, if you haven't, you ought to. There's one book, and I, I can't remember the name. I was going to write it down. It talks about the torture of Christians in Japan and, like, the 1940s, and they would like slit behind their ears, cut their skin, they would tie them up, hang them upside down, and they would leave them there to bleed to death, and it would take days and days and days. And their, their, what they wanted them to do was 
be so tortured that they would renounce Jesus. And while they were hanging there, they would tell them, now I'm going to kill your wife. Now I'm going to kill your son. Now I'm going to kill your daughter. And they had to maintain their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during that whole time. Or being hung over fire or being hung over oil. And uh, that's what Paul was like. That's how bad Paul was. But Jesus died for him. Jesus saved him. And that's, that's a love that we, it's hard for us to understand. But that's the kind of love that God wants us to have. So we've talked about religious people. What about government officials that are evil? How would Jesus have us act? And, you know, every government, you know, we think, you know, things are bad in the United States right now, but every government, every country has had good and bad politicians. Um, in Acts 4.27, let's turn there. Acts 4.27 It says, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So uh, they're talking about, you know, when Jesus was still alive, Herod and Pontius Pilate were conspiring together with Gentiles and with the church, uh, not the church, the, the Jewish leaders, to figure out a way to destroy Jesus. So that's pretty bad, isn't it? Yes. That's pretty bad. But we see next in the next verse how Christians should act. Or in verse 29, this is how Christians should act. They prayed, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, the disciples took a supernatural action. So many times we want to take natural actions. The disciples did not pray that God was going to destroy Herod or Pontius Pilate. And that's what, you know, that's kind of like our default if somebody's trying to destroy us. Well, God destroyed them. <laughs> but they didn't call, do that, and they didn't call the leaders names, and they didn't disrespect them. But they prayed for them, and they prayed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you notice the Holy Spirit started working through them miraculously. And that's the way that God works. That's the way that God works. Uh, let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. When we have um, religious, or when we have government officials that we like, and when we have government officials that we don't like, this is how we should pray. I urge you, first of all, that re request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live a peaceful, Live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And right here, when this was written, the, the leaders, the king and those in authority, were aggressively persecuting Christians. And this is what uh, Paul told the church to do. 
He didn't tell them to go out and try to shoot them, to try to kill them, to do anything bad to them, to disrespect them. He told them to pray, to pray so that those Christians could lead a peaceable life. And that's what we need to do. And I've heard, I've heard Christians say, well, I can pray for the elected official that I like, but I just, I just can't get it in me. I just can't feel it. I just can't. The Holy Spirit's not leading me to pray for someone that I don't like, that is not godly. And that's totally against scripture. We're to pray for every government official and everyone who has authority over us. And uh, God wouldn't have us pray for them if they couldn't be changed. And we need to pray that God would give them wisdom and that he would enlighten them and do like we do for anyone who's not saved, that God, the Holy Spirit would draw them unto him, that he would reveal himself to them, that he would convict them of sin. Uh, we need to remember that uh, Jesus, uh, I, I believe it's in Acts 10.38, says Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And we know that a government official that is like pushing for abortion at any time and, and doing a lot of these things, they're bound up by the devil. And we're here to free those who are oppressed by the devil by the light and the love and the, the uh, graciousness that flows from us. So that's really important. And if we, if we face government officials that we don't agree with by calling them names and slamming them and posting u- ugly pictures of them on the internet, we're putting up roadblocks to their salvation and to other people's salvation. So we talked about religious people, government officials. Now we talk about ethnic problems. You know, there's a lot of ethnic problems. There always have been ethnic problems. So let's turn to Luke 51, how God would want us to act when there's ethnic problems. Luke 9:51. I'm reading this in the New King James Version. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem to be crucified and die for us. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Now, the Samaritans and, and the Jews didn't really get along. They were kind of like different ethnic groups. They had a little bit different feelings on, on, on probably a lot of things. Um, verse 53, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command down fire? command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did. That's not good, is it? (laughs) So Jesus's disciples wanted to destroy or kill a whole village of people in their religious fervor. (laughs) So that's not good. So we'll see what Jesus said to them. In verse 55, Jesus, he said, but he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So when we come across religious people or government people or people that there's ethnic problems with, we have to remember we should never wish for their destruction. We should never wish for their demise. We should always wish that they would become born again. And that's how we should 
pray. We need to be a, be very aware of addressing things um, the way the Old Testament looks at things. You know, an eye for an eye and all these things. Remember when Jesus was teaching, a lot of times he said, this is the way it used to be. Now it's this way. You've heard this, but now it's this. We need to remember what Jesus taught us, that we're to walk in love and be gracious toward people. And we need to remember that we, in and of ourselves, are no better than the worst sinner, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we've done, nothing that we have accomplished that, that qualifies us to be better than the worst sinner, except the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and the church of Jesus Christ, we're here to build the church, and the church is not going to be built with the disdain and hateful attitudes of believers. We're also always to be distributors of light and life and grace. So what, what are we to do when evil is prevailing in the country or... Something's going on in our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, or our home. Just always be light. Always be love. You know, we can vote. We can have peaceful protest. We can voice our opinions, write letters, set boundaries in relationships. We can report crime if it's happening. But we always need to do it in love. We always need to do it in love. Let's turn to Ephesians verse 4. Ephesians 4, verse 29. This is the New Living Translation. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. So if we treat people with abusive language, calling them names, then we're not following the walk of love. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness Rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God, or in other words, be more like Jesus. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Yes. Wouldn't, you wanna, wouldn't you be drawn to salvation if you were around somebody like this? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's turn to Romans 12, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. <clears throat> it says, don't just pretend to love others really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. See, it didn't say hate the person, we're to hate sin, but we're to love the person. Verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, pray that God will bless them. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone you can see can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. 
And this is really hard for a lot of people to do because they want to take care of it here and now. <laughs> want to take care of it now. Verse 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's a whole mouthful, isn't it? We could work on that for the rest of our life. <laughs> Conquering evil with good. Being the good side. So today, I want to, wanted to encourage you to be more like Jesus in your hearts, your attitudes, thoughts, and actions toward and about sinners. We have to understand they're sinners, and we need to act like Jesus did. We're to imitate God. We're to draw them in, loving them, being patient with them, and sending Jesus to die for them. We're to be dispensers of God's love, his grace, and his mercy. That's what we need to do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We just ask that your word would infiltrate our hearts and just flow out of us when we see people that we feel are are in such desperate need of you. We ask, Lord God, that you would give us, always give us the right words to say, that your Holy Spirit would lead us. And Lord, that we would, whenever we would do something that's full of dead religion, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and that we would have the insight to correct ourselves, Lord, and show love and compassion to every person that you died for. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, Jesus died for you. And he loves you so much. And he has a new life waiting for you. And if you call upon him, you repent of your sins, and you call upon him, you will be saved, and you'll be filled with this love and compassion too. So I just encourage you to do that today in Jesus' name. Okay, have a good day.